I'm your host, uh, Scott Boatwright, and we're going to start off with a brand new one from ATMIG. That's A-T-M-I-G, and if you're not familiar with the band, it stands for After the Money is Gone. So that's basically after you spend gas to get to the the gig. So anyway, uh, we're going to play the fourth track from this called Fine Days.
Reluctantly I turn on today's tragic news. Helpless people, what did they do to live in a world that's now broken down? In desperation, they leave their cities and their towns. The children no longer have time to play with fear in their eyes. The only word that they can say goodbye to their fathers. How does that feel when their homes have turned into the
That is a video from Billy Craig featuring Elsie Binks, and that is a track, if you didn't figure it out already, Tears for Ukraine. So uh, we go out and uh, we pray for everybody in this conflict and see what happens. Anyway, before that, we heard Distilled Tongues with In Your Veins and Edison Hollow with Mr. Wolfhart. Uh, They're both going to be playing at the Sanctuary in Hamtramck. And that's tomorrow night. So if you like that music, check them out in Hamtramck at the Sanctuary. That used to be Paychecks back in the day. And we started off with Atmig, A-T-M-I-G, with a track from Avec Muscles. So we're going to keep things going. Right now I want to play something from Carbon Decoy. And this is a really good stoner rock track called Heavy Dagger.
All right, that is a video by That Is Joe. This is Dan. It's called It's a Treat. I like that one. Cats and dogs, you got to love them. Before that, we heard Carbon Decoy uh, with Heavy Dagger, and that is live at 
Dogtown Studios. And Carbon Decoy and Solar Monolith are going to be playing at the Bolero Lanes and Lounge uh, tomorrow night in Royal Oak. So check that out if you like that music. Really good stoner rock there for you. All right, we're going to move on now, and we're going to play something from the Whiskey Charmers and Ernie Clark and the Magnificent Bastards. They're going to be playing at the Cadu Cafe on Saturday. So if you like the next two songs, then you might want to check that out as well. Cadu Cafe is on the east side. Um, you can look it up. You, you can't miss them. Anyway, so we're going to hear uh, Whiskey Charmers doing Crossfire and Ernie Clark and the Magnificent Bastards doing Freight Train Keep Rolling On. I followed him across the land He had a gun in his hand He said, oh no Because I'd cheat and rob and kill And always lie, always will I'll leave you in some dark and dusty hollow I've got nothing to admire
keep rolling on. Right. That is Ernie Clark and the Magnificent Bastards. Freight train, keep rolling on. All right, they're going to be playing the Corktown Summer Days Fest on June 10th and 11th. We'll have more uh, details about that fest as it gets closer. It's going to be an awesome uh, thing. About 60 bands playing over two nights and 20 bucks wristband get you in there, and you can help uh, benefit Four Paws, One Heart. So, again, we'll talk more about that in the next coming weeks. Anyway... Let's do another one, a video from Detroit 442, and this is a track called A Cigarette and a Blindfold.
Yeah, that is the Cult of Space Skull with a track called Possum from their latest, uh, simply entitled That's What You Get. And before that, we heard Death Cat with Planet Nine from Me Outer Space. Uh, both of those bands are going to be playing at the New Dodge in Hamtramck on Saturday night, along with Jimbo Easter, one of my good friends, and Christ Weasel. It sounds very interesting, doesn't it? You might want to check that out if you like those last two tracks. Anyway, um, I'm going to do one more track, and it's going to be a video. And brace yourselves, because we have John Freeman ready to go in just a few minutes. And he's going to entertain us with some music and poetry and whatever we can think of. So anyway, let's do a video by Frame 42. And this is a track called Paranoia. Let's go. 
All right, that was Frame 42 with a track called Paranoia, their latest video. And as promised, well, we have no choice. We have John Freeman here in the studio. How are you doing? Good, man. It's great to be here, Scott. Uh, congrats <laughs> on the new digs. I love this place, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's always great to hang out with you. It is. Thank you very much. So, we got songs, we got poetry, we got all kinds of great stuff coming up in the next hour, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, I, uh, I kind of think of myself as a poet first and a songwriter second. Um, it is National Poetry Month. I just had a, had a new book come out called uh, Poolside of the Dearborn Inn, so um, I'm really excited about that. So, I, I thought I'd share at least a few things from that. Uh, during the course of an of our hour here today, uh, you know, and, you know, I always like, I'm um, I'm always real interested in uh, relationships between songwriting and poetry because they mm -hmm. they borrow so many of the same strategies, but you know they they demand different things uh, too. Um, you know, there's a different set of constraints when you're dealing with a song. You've got to kind of be in meter, and um, you know, uh, it's a shorter. Um, it's usually a shorter window in terms of the number of lines you can get in. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, I, I think that's a lot of uh, a lot of where my head's at often is uh, mm -hmm. is this thing a song or a poem? Is it both? Uh, you know, um, where where does the distinction between those two genres break down? You know, and I'm always thinking along those lines. Well, originally songs were more about poetry. Right. You know, nowadays it's like, ooh, baby, baby, and, you know, things, <laughs> yeah. stupid things like that. Right. But in the olden days, you know, <laughs> long before we were born, of Right, course. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Music it's... was more about poetry. Sure. And, uh, you know, was, uh, poetry, you know, started out as an oral art form, you know, was, so it was, was a lot like delivering a song. Um, and I always got this theory that... Uh, you know, uh, when I think about songwriters, I love. I always, I always think, well, you know, the the good ones are are um, are pretty good, but but the great ones tend to tend to read poets, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. maybe that's uh, self ennobling or something. But I uh, I think about folks like Bob Dylan or Guy Clark that I really respect, and there's always a relate relationship to poetry there. Not to mention Guthrie. Yeah. Right. Totally. Uh -huh. So yeah. Um, Please explain to me this, though. I, I was looking at on websites about the the new one at the Dearborn Inn, yeah. and it has to do with your father too, doesn't it? Yeah. So um, my my dad died last January, and um, sorry to hear that. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. You know, it's always tough to lose a parent. Um, it's uh, especially tough. I think at the time he died, we were all in you know, um, various stages of kind of COVID lockdown. And, um, so, you know, didn't really get to gather with people the way I would have liked and, um, you know, just get, get together with some of his old friends and share some memories, you know, none of that part of the grieving process really happened, but, you know, the day after he died, I got the page proofs for this, um, long poem that's in the book called university of Detroit, a brief memoir with basketball and poetry. And, um, it, the poem describes like going to Callahan Hall with my dad as a kid and watching U of D basketball, and he taught there. And mm -hmm. it's sort of, I didn't write it as an elegy for him. I had no idea he was going to die when I wrote it, but um, it ended up kind of coinciding, the publication of that poem uh, ended up kind of coinciding with his death. Um, and uh, 
and picked up these new resonances, you know, I think because of that, because it mentioned him. I went into great lengths in that poem describing him shooting a hook shot because he loved playing pickup basketball. And <laughs> I think in the poem I say he, uh, I'm convinced he's the last man to shoot a sky hook, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least, so he was tall like you are? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and he was a character, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, so... Um, so, yeah, a lot of those poems, you know, ended up, uh, even poems that weren't about his death ended up kind of becoming about his death, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there, there's a lot there's a lot about him in that book for sure, you know. Um, okay. Well, we look forward to it yeah. a little bit later on. You want to start with a song? Yeah, I'll start, start off with a song I wrote called uh, Bitter Heart. Um,
That's old and bitter heart, and that's um, that's a song uh, I wrote a couple years ago um, that I've been playing with a new band um, I'm in um, with um, my friends uh, Jim Flynn and uh, Dave Leslie and Eric Freeman and uh, Dirk Schwarzoff, uh, uh, calling that band the the John Freeman Band. It's more of a rock and roll outfit. Um, mm -hmm. So we've been having a lot of fun um, doing that one uh, at gigs and practices together, and uh, yeah. Um, been recording, uh, you know, a record with those guys in a studio at uh, my friend Bunky Hunt's house, which is actually just across Eleven Mile Road from uh, your <laughs> studio here, Scott. So, um, so you could walk there. I could walk there. From yeah, here? yeah. I, okay. um, and so it's funny. I always pay attention to the um, orange H on that uh, hotel when I'm coming to Bunkies, you know, because I know that's my <laughs> landmark. I hang a left there. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, here it comes. And my Google Maps is telling me your place is about 90 feet away. I said, geez, he must be right across the road. So that's uh, familiar with the area, in other words. But, uh, yeah, um, so, yeah, old Bunkie's been uh, helping us out with arrangements and, and songs over the last year. And we're we're getting close to having something ready for the world. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah. You know. And you're still working on the name, I heard? Yeah. Yeah, still working on the name. Right now we're just calling it the John Freeman Band. Every time we come up with a good name, we look it up and it's taken. We're like, well, that's why it seemed like a good name. Somebody already realized it was. So that's okay. John Freeman's a good name, I think. You know? hey, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> uh, I'll play you a tune, though, uh, I do um, with uh, my other band, The Codgers. This is called Aretha. It's on our record, um, Masher's Elegies, that came out a few years ago.
Yes, that's a song called Aretha that um, I wrote about my old neighborhood. I grew up uh, uh, on the west side of Detroit in a neighborhood called Warrendale. And so I would, a lot of times I go back in my memory to that uh, that place. I have a lot of good memories there, um, you know. And, uh, how, long were you, how long were you there? Uh, I was there from... Pretty much my whole childhood up until I was about 13, you know. Okay. Yeah, and then um, you know, we ended up uh, <laughs> I missed Warrendale. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a great uh, great place to be from, and, uh, you know, uh, but, yeah, we moved, uh, when I was a teenager, we moved down to Southgate, you know, so spent some time downriver. So, you know, a lot of that uh, UAW working class uh culture kind of seeps into a lot of what I write. Um, it's funny though, you know, my, all my friends' parents were firemen, you know, UAW factory workers and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Blue collar. Yeah, blue collar. My dad was a professor, um, but, you know, he's a professor at a private university, didn't make a lot of money. And, uh, and, uh, you know, so we, we kind of, we had a, we always lived in these uh, working class kind of blue collar places, um, and uh, I, I always feel fortunate to um, to have soaked that up and kind of you know um, both my parents were were big like pro union people you know and I I definitely mm -hmm. internalized a lot of that um, and that uh, that still sticks with me I think a, a lot of times in my writing and things like that yeah yeah um, I really like the music on that though I like the the guitar work. Oh, thanks. Um, you know, nothing against a lot of other song singer songwriters. Yeah, <laughs> too much caffeine today. <laughs> um, but you know, they just rely on C, D, A, and G. And sure. You're doing something a little different there. Oh, thanks, Scott. You're going that, further down the fretboard. Yeah, that's a high compliment coming from you. I'm. I definitely don't fancy myself a great guitar player. My my strategy has always been to surround myself with musicians who are better than me. You know, so guys like Steve Cousins and Matt Balser and Nick Mansfield, and then mm. you know folks like Dave Leslie, who's a phenomenal guitar player. But yeah, I really I really did try to work on the. Um, guitar part for that song when I wrote it so I really mm -hmm. appreciate that and you know playing guitar is fun it is a beautiful instrument if uh, you know uh, you know you can never learn what am I trying to say <laughs> let's backtrack you you can always learn something more oh yeah for sure as far as the guitar goes you ain't kidding yeah. you know no matter how much you know it's like you can always explore and go wait a minute what's right. that yeah yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's great to be around people who are naturally good teachers too. You know, uh, I've got a friend named James Anthony who's a local musician and mm -hmm. um, you know a, a local guitar instructor. Um, and we've gigged together a lot. And he actually studied music formally at Wayne State University. So, you know, that first song I played, "Bitter Heart," one time I played it for him, and he says, "Oh yeah, that's." Uh, that's D Dorian, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm like, what's D Dorian? He says, oh, it's just, it's a scale. He says, you know, you can't quite tell if it's A minor, D or G, you know, and he explained it far, uh -huh. far better than that. But uh, he says it's, it's one of those interesting uh, yeah. chord progressions that you can't quite peg. He says, but uh, but it, it sounds good. But he says it's a it's a very enigmatic chord structure. But he says, yeah, that's what I would call that song, D Dorian, and you know you. You pick up little things from people like that you talk to, you know, and uh, especially when they're when they're good teachers, able to distill what they know about the instrument, but um, but also patient and able to uh, 
to help you yeah. where you're at. You know, and I'm I'm certainly not at, at the level of someone like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you like uh, to explore alternate tunings at all, or? You know what? I haven't done a lot of that. Um, I uh, I know um, you know a lot of. Uh, folk musicians and old-time musicians like uh, kind of open G tuning. Um, Crosby, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, they right. did a lot of alternate tunes. Right, right, yeah. And you know, so, Sweet Judy, Blue Eyes, it's like I'm still trying to figure out how to tune my guitar to <laughs> <Nice>. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I haven't done a lot of alternate tuning. So the fanciest I've ever gotten is drop the low E down to D and uh, let that drone a little bit on some songs I'm playing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for effect. But, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's something I'd like to get into with someone who, who knows how to do that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, I've been writing for the last year with a, a friend of mine, Dave Leslie, who plays lead guitar in this uh, John Freeman band, and he... Um, He'll come to the table with some really great chord progressions that I I would have never been able to dream up, mm-hmm. you know. And I've learned a lot about guitar from him too. And uh, he's a great guy to write with too because he's he's typically got a theme in mind, um, and he's great with chord progressions or suggesting to throw in something uh, more interesting in one of my chord progressions. Um, but he he also has you know these he he he'll he'll let me kind of apply poetry to to some of the themes he's thinking about you know and so we write well together in that way he kind of gets me outside of my own head teaches me some about guitar and and kind of spurs me to write about a subject i might not have uh thought of without him you know that's cool yeah very cool but um yeah i know you're a a Dearborn guy, Scott. Um, that was one of the fun things after we got to know each other a bit is discovering we actually lived around the block from each other. And this next song um, I was going to play is called Blue Angels. It's a very Dearborn song. Um, it's about uh, Edsel Ford, who, um, you know, um, I think uh, I think in a way gets um, mistreated and underrated by history. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, I have a lot of problems with Henry Ford, especially his... Uh, his anti-union stances and his uh, anti-Semitism, you know, uh, were both in my mind awful things about him. Um, but uh, Edsel Ford, despite his parentage, actually seemed like a pretty cool guy. And I, I think one of the big reasons we ended up in this region being known as the arsenal of democracy was mm-hmm. Edsel's ability to go out to the Willow Run airplane plant, retool it, you know, get those bombers rolling off the assembly line as part of the war effort in in Europe. And um, okay. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think in a way he was tortured by being his father's son. Um, so that's kind of where this song comes from. I wrote it after reading a book called Henry and Etzel by a, a Dearborn historian named uh, Richard Bach. Okay. Those airplanes rolled off of the 
quartz road to that willow rod airplane field where the blue angels do all of their tricks in the sky we stare out in the summertime Such a happy song. Yeah, it's a it's a real. Uh, a lot of my songs are really cheery. You'll you'll, you'll pick up on that. <laughs> I'm getting that, huh? Yeah, um, which is kind of funny because I cut my teeth playing music in Detroit, doing um, you know uh, Irish bars, you know, with my band, and we're you know the Codgers, and we were in our early twenties, and we're kind of known for uh, upbeat, you know, beer and whiskey drinking, yeah, <laughs> music, you know, and then uh, when we started writing our own songs. Uh, 
they were more in the vein of like you know like Towns Van Zandt or Guy Clark, some of that kind of well, what my friend, good friend Steve Cousins refers to as like sad bastard music. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah, so so a lot of my songs, um, you know, kind of pick up on that uh, that pathos, you know, that uh, that that sadness. I think is a real part of the. The human condition, if you if you think about things very much at all, you know. But uh, um, yeah. Um, so poetry. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about reading a poem. You read my mind. I'm gonna. Um, I think I'm gonna read the title poem out of my new book called Poolside of the Dearborn Inn. Okay. Um, it. Uh, it's kind of related to that song, actually, Scott. Um, and so it picks up on similar themes. The Dearborn Inn, um, you know, on Oakwood and Dearborn was uh, originally built to um, serve an a airport that never materialized uh, right across mm-hmm. the road. And uh, Henry Ford, um, you know, was, was in the av- aviation business early on, but he had, a, he had a test pilot named Harry J. Brooks who crashed on a test run off the coast of Florida. It crashed one of... Uh, Ford's uh, Fliver planes, um, and uh, it really spooked Henry Ford, where he didn't want to um, get on a plane at all. He only did like three flights in his life, um, and uh, mostly for kind of uh, as like kind of commercial stunts, you know. And this poem kind of draws on that history of that site, the Dearborn Inn. Um, so, poolside at the Dearborn Inn. I sit near the shallow end. Reading John Dos Passos's The Big Money and scribbling in a notebook while my wife does laps. He never drank, never smoked. His mother said he was a good boy and he believed it, Dos Passos writes of Henry Ford. Swimming slowly and maintaining the shape of the stroke is an art. The fact that septuagenarians can stare down the blank and be happy while bathing ponderous bodies is nothing if not inspiring. I'm 36 and can't stand the sight of my sallow face in mirrors. The Fords built this hotel to serve an airport that never materialized. Harry J. Brooks's death off the coast of Melbourne, Florida in 1928 put an end to the Fliver Plain. Friends described the old man as spooked and distraught over Brooks's death. This I learned from my grandmother, not Dos Passos. She would sit poolside here every day in July, eating green grapes and playing bridge beneath a Canadian maple tree. The autopsy of the Fliver plane found that Brooks had jammed wooden toothpicks in the vent holes of the fuel cap to keep moist air from entering. The toothpicks plugged the vent, causing engine failure. Nobody found the pilot's body. It was lost somewhere along those coastal shoals, mutilated and incinerated, dispersed by swift gulf currents. Nobody found Jose Robles, Dos Passos's friend and translator, thought to have been murdered by Stalinists during the Civil War, either. Dos Passos's politics would drift rightward toward Ford's in the years following Robles's death. I've never made a flight in an airplane, and I don't know that I'm particularly anxious to. I would, though, like to take a trip in a dirigible, 
Bring one out here sometime, won't you, Dr. Eckener, and give me a ride? Ford would only go on three short flights in his lifetime. Publicity stunts, mostly, and never after Brooks's crash. History is mostly bunk. I wouldn't give a nickel for all the history in the world, he once said. The only history that is worth a tinker's dam is the history we make today. I take my drink into the shadows of the Georgian brick building and think again of my mother's mother, Gwendolyn Morrissey O'Neill, who, when I'd ask her questions about Ford's goons beating up her cousin Jim, a UAW organizer in 1941, or read her excerpts from the Dearborn Independent, would tell me to lay off of them. They were a good family. My wife is the last to leave the pool. She tastes of gin, and chlorinated water as we kiss, her breasts pale against her sun-kissed shoulders. The swimming pool gleams in this waning light, and I know these epicurean afternoons and sleepy evenings will one day go on without us. I'm thinking of the coiled muscles of a dolphin's body arcing just a few feet above the surface of the water, and old and young people alike pretending to stave off eventuality. How all beauty is anachronistic down to the springs of the diving board. The sick tropes that knowing history is supposed to ward off, falsely glorifying the past. The splendor of this courtyard burned by Japanese maple and honeysuckle. Mulch, the color of the brick. How Henry Ford's aphorisms sounded both ignorant and profound which might ultimately be the litmus for true poetic statement. Can it be both stupid and deep? I keep coming back to my grandmother, who chased her children she said were sired by the devil down the block when the streetlights came on, how she told me the Fords were a good family, to let them be. She was always playing cards, here or in her kitchen, solitaire or bridge, smoking Doral cigarettes she never inhaled blowing smoke rings at the kitchen ceiling or into the dusty leaves of birch and maple trees, shuffling decks with the indelible sound of a morning dove taking flight, smoke whistling from her nose, the shape of the rings holding and flowering like epiphytes on hot, still days. Wow. <laughs> so that's Poolside of the Dearborn Inn. That's the title poem out of the new book. Um, and, uh, yeah, that poem came out first in a journal, um, in England called Ambit. And, uh, it's also coming out in a, um, anthology, um, being published by the University of Kentucky, uh, on, on working class poems, uh, kind of a lot of the poems, um, are set in Appalachia, but also, um, up north, you know, they used to call that stretch the hillbilly highway, you know, that would connect people from the south to some of the manufacturing jobs in the north that they would leave home for. Um, okay. So this anthology that's, that should be coming out uh, later this summer uh, kind of taps into that geography and that, that set of working class experiences. So how do we get that book? That book you can get um, through um, my publisher, which is R&R Press. And um, I can share uh, 
a link to that with you. I believe it's just rrpress.com. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, they're selling the book there. I've also got a couple events coming up uh, here locally in April where there will be books for sale. So um, April 14th, I'm at uh, 27th Letter Books uh, in Detroit on Michigan Avenue. That's in uh, uh, what they call kind of core city, you know. Um, and then uh, uh, there's a... Um, reading on April 22nd at Pages Books in Detroit, um, and then they'll be uh, selling books at that event. So plenty of uh, chances to get it locally in person, and uh, I'll even sign it and, and you know, uh, and put a greeting on it for people. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, you did poetry first in your life as opposed to, you know, before music? Yeah, you know... I think I studied poetry more seriously than music. I they they kind of came up uh, around the the same time. I think uh, when I was in seventh grade, I was really moved by a performance I saw of uh, Nirvana playing "All Apologies" on Unplugged. You know, on the, and uh, I think that really made me want to pick up guitar and write songs. Um, mm -hmm. and it was around that time too that I started reading a lot of uh, beatnik writers like. Uh, Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, stuff like that, and getting interested in literature and trying to write my own poetry. So they sort of coincided. And um, I was always drawn to um, lyrics and songs even more than the music. You know, I was uh, people like uh, Lou Reed who could uh, create a beautiful song out of like two chords and a sort of almost... I don't know, uh, not not even melodic in the way he delivered the the words, you know. But he could make something beautiful out of that. That uh, that always fascinated me, you know. I think uh, I think of like the Velvet Underground song "Heroin" as like a great American poem, you know, um, or "Sweet Nothing," you know. Similarly, mm -hmm. yeah. So um, so I was always I always looked at this as like an instrument, uh, a vehicle to kind of deliver words, you know, um, and get people to to listen to words. So. You know, because not poetry on the page is not everybody's cup of tea. So, um, but but songs can approximate it. Yeah, but I, I thought I'd play another song here. This if called, you want, yeah, <laughs> it's it's what we're here to do, I guess. Um, this next song's called "A Blessing." Um, wrote it for my wife Sarah, and I borrowed the chorus from the great Ohio poet James Wright. Um, he says. Uh, at one point in, in his poem, um, they love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. I always love that line. Like this 
day in autumn, a field by the side of the road. She's feeding some apples to an old bay in Rome. The sunlight is golden. It plays in her gold brown hair. The south of the airport. <laughs> Lemon Mile Sessions Live with John Freeman. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you what, Scott. I'm I'm so happy uh, you're you're back on the air and uh, you're doing this new 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 multimedia project. It's really amazing place to visit and uh, you know just see what you got going on uh, and. Uh, you know, um, I think uh, I think a lot of musicians in in the city um, and beyond are going to be real happy that you're you're doing this. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a it's a great thing. You know, uh, not just because you invited me to play on it. That's not the only reason I'm saying. <laughs> and I that. paid you that fifty bucks earlier. That's true. Yeah, the yeah, show. right, right. <laughs> um, um, so when can we see John Freeman uh, live? Not poetry, but music. Let's see. Yeah. What's so up? we got. Um, we got uh, with the band. I got May thirteenth at the Ghost Light, um, and we're playing with Kennedy. And Hamtramck. Gr- yeah, Cam Tramick right there on Kniff, uh, and we're playing with um, uh, Kennedy Greenrod from the uh, Gas Hounds. So he he's good. He's great. Yeah. yeah. So um, 
you know, actually, uh, we played at uh, Corktown Music Festival, um, and he, you know, I, I know uh, Gas Hounds played at a different venue, but he heard us that night and uh, started talking to my guitar player and saying he enjoyed the set and he'd love mm -hmm. to do a gig with us, which I took as a incredibly high compliment. So, uh, you know, nice. we're really excited for that one. So You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. Yeah, my booking <laughs> agent, you know. You'll, you'll get 10% of that gig, you know. Yeah, 10% yeah, yeah. of... 60 bucks or something. Yeah. Six pennies. <laughs> right, right. There we go. I'll give you a few free hams. How's that? <laughs> Uh, but um, any no, other so, gigs? Uh, yeah, so got uh, Codgers at the Gaelic League on April 23rd. Um, so that's kind of our home base for that band. Um, and then uh, let's see what else do we have coming up. I think that's it. Uh, April 23rd at the Gaelic League with the Codgers. Um, I'm going to do um, Wiltsy's um, uh, on um, that's out in Clarkston. And that is, um, I should know this offhand. That's in May, though. It's, uh, um, it's, um, it's a great uh, songwriter round, though. I think that's May 4th, and I'll be there with um, in the round, you know. Um, so when the songwriters sit in a circle, swap songs, kind of talk to each other about them as they play. Yeah. Um, but kind of serendipitously and randomly, my good friend Ryan Dillahay, uh, ended up uh, on that night with me at Wiltsy's coming up in May. So I'll be by myself uh, in the round with uh, with Ryan and one other um, songwriter, uh, TBD. Um, but Ryan's a great friend, so I'm really uh, excited for that one. Just anytime I get to sit in a room with him, he's, um, you know, there are a few people in this town who have really taught me a lot about uh, songwriting. Ryan Dillahay is certainly one of them. Uh, Don Dupree and Allison Lewis are three mm -hmm. people who've really uh, helped me out, uh, helped me understand this art, and you know, um, try to help me get better at it. And uh, so, I'm super stoked to to be sharing the stage with Ryan, especially in that setting. That in the rounds a real neat thing. You know, I got to drive all the way out to Clarkston, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to it. I work at Oakland University. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, but. Um, I thought I might go back in the, the time machine here. Uh, this is a song called Corktown Boys. Um, I wrote it back, gosh, I, it's, been, it's been over a decade now, but I wrote it about the first time I ever played on the day of the St. Patrick's Day Parade in the tent behind the Gaelic League with my friends uh, from the Codgers, Steve Cousins, Matt Balser, Pat Carey, um, and they were all living on Church Street in Corktown at the time. So they had a flat there. It was a great place to go over and have some beers and stay up till dawn just trading songs and working mm -hmm. on stuff. Nice. And yeah. Um, so this is kind of a nostalgic song called Corktown Boys. Um, Nancy Blair behind 
not exactly where I was born, but Southwest Detroit gets just as foggy. Be right. 
All right, 11 Mile Sessions Live with John Freeman. And the uh, the inimitable Scott Boatwright. <laughs> Who's he? <laughs> uh, I, was just gonna, I was just seeing if I could get all the syllables and in inimitable out, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's not always easy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it looks like I got time for a couple more here. And um, I, uh, I'm going to play a newer one um, called Too Far Gone. Um, okay. This one I co-wrote with uh, my bandmate Dave Leslie. Right. 
Thank you so much for joining me today, oh, John. Oh, man, thanks for having me, Scott. Much uh, much appreciation and respect for uh, all you do and for all the energy you, you put into this and uh, in terms of just, you know, helping local artists promote their stuff, making making people sound good, even even hacks like me. And, <laughs> you, know, it's, it's always, you know, it's always just a great excuse to visit with you. So cheers. It's my pleasure. All right, cheers, man. Thanks so much. All right, so we have time for one more? Sure. Um, I'll play one um, called uh, Disappearing Things. Um, it's another happy one, you know. <laughs> Whatever happened to old man Rushlow's farm There's a base subdivision And that bluegrass band is gone They call it Whispering Woods now But we all know what that means It's just the name of another disappearing thing It's just the name of another disappearing thing Step into the lizard lounge like I'm sinking in a stream Blind Lemon Jefferson would play here and his blues guitar would sing Now they got karaoke a couple times a week Just another disappearing thing It's just the name of another disappearing thing I used to play the Tipperary On the west side of Detroit Every Friday night the faithful Would flock into the joint Oh, Halloran sat drinking whiskey And Terry Murphy'd sing Now the weeds have taken over Just another disappearing thing It's just the name of another disappearing thing in the suburbs trying to make some sense of things ain't touched the bottle since it got the best of me still do some picking but I hardly ever sing just another disappearing dream I'm just the name of another disappearing thing What you love will start to kill you If you like it way too much All those things that used to thrill you They fly by in such a rush 
It all flies by in such a rush 